Hi, and welcome to our podcast, Bodies and Souls, Conversations for the Jewish Woman. My name is Sarah. I'm a certified teacher and school leader. I'm passionate about education and Torah and Hasidus. My name is Rifki. I am a certified nurse, midwife, and college teacher. I am passionate about using our bodies and our innate spiritual abilities to serve Hashem in the most healthy and complete way possible. Together, we are pleased to present to you Bodies and Souls, fascinating and informative conversations for you, the Jewish woman. Our aim is to provide you with multidimensional information that will inform and inspire you to be the best version of yourself, supporting your bodies and souls as they strive to be the very best in fulfilling our ultimate potential in bringing Mashiach now. Good morning and welcome to Bodies and Souls. Your host for today is Rifki Boyarski. Today we have Malka Shah with us. Malka Shah is a licensed clinical social worker based out of Passaic, New Jersey. She also works with clients in New York and in Florida. She is going to talk to us about maternal health and maternal wellness. She does work with patients and clients in all areas of mental health, but today our focus is going to be maternal mental health. So before we start, Malka, can you tell us a little bit about yourself? Sure. First, I want to wish you a Kodesh Tov. It's Rosh Kodesh Adar. And I really think that because it's Rosh Kodesh, it really leads very nicely into maternal uh, wellness because Rosh Kodesh is all about celebrating women. So I, I definitely have a little bit, I definitely think that that's, that that's really very apropos for our conversation today. So to tell you a little bit about myself, I've been a social worker for over 20 years. I started out and I've worked in Eretz Israel. I worked in borough parks. In the last 14 years, I really was working privately in private practice. My practice specializes in women's issues. I do, do work with couples as well, but I really do the gamut of women's issues and maternal wellness is a huge part of women's issues. As a midwife, I couldn't agree more. I'm so glad that we're talking about maternal wellness. And I think that in the from community, a lot of times when we talk about maternal wellness, we're talking about primarily like postpartum depression. And I feel like that's the like catch all phrase that if we talk about postpartum depression, we have addressed maternal wellness. And it's not really accurate. That's actually what I wanted to bring about with maternal wellness is that it's the whole gamut, it's the whole life cycle. As you are, I know that you're a midwife and I'm happy to talk about postpartum perinatal and postpartum depression. And the, you know, and also the whole cycle of infertility, people who've gone through infertility, working, being with toddlers, but it really is the whole lifespan. I work with women who are just struggling with school-age children, you know, the balancing the roles of being a woman. And then we even get into dealing with teenagers and what is it like to raise teenagers when you're in your menopause phase? And then of course we get to the end when they, you know, there's a whole heartbreak when our babies leave us and they get married, hopefully they get married and they move on to the next life. And there's just a whole gamut. I always talk about it like a giant Jenga. You could have all these different blocks and especially as from women, we have so much extra on our plate. We have making besides Shabbos and Yontif on top of, our careers, you know, our marriages, our main relationship, our, um, and our children, and, and, and trying to have a little bit of a life for ourselves. Sometimes we have all these compartments and they're going well, but even myself, we struggle with that balance because if one, one piece falls out, the whole thing can just fall down. And when I think about maternal wellness, I really think about the entire cycle of a woman's life and 
and the men, and how mental health presents with, with that. So can you give us some examples? What would you, if a teenager walks into your office or a parent of a teenager walks into your office and says, you know, I see my kid is struggling. What would be the primary things that you would point out for someone in like that stage of life? The teenager or the mother of the teenager? Well, that's a good question. Both. <laughs> so actually, I'm really very well prepared to answer that question. I didn't think that's what we were talking about today. I worked with teens. I worked with teenagers and teens at risk for many years, starting in Eretz Israel when I was doing post um, graduate training in the Harnoff Clinic, and I saw a lot of the kids going up the derrick and really struggling. And then again, for when I worked at Ohel Ohel um, Children and Family Homes in Borough Park. And then many years in my private practice, I really did focus on adolescence, but my life cycle changed. And I felt that I was much more apropos at this stage of my life to really connect more to the moms of the teenagers. But the most important thing is really, we need to validate kids don't feel heard and seen. Kids, especially some of the school systems, kids need to feel like they, that what they say really does matter. We need to build our children up then we can realize what they're struggling in. Because if the self-esteem isn't there and they're not felt being heard, it, the struggling comes out in different ways. Obviously we have the extreme of substance abuse, eating disorders, cutting, but it could be other, you know, the struggling can come to other ways where they're just sort of withdrawn. You know, they're not doing, putting effort in school. They're not, they don't want to participate in the typical activities that some, you know, their social, their social circles would be, begin. And, the, for the parent, I would say you need to let go of your expectations. We all have these expectations of what our child is supposed to be like. We need to just accept this child for who this child is. And it's our job to nurture and grow and let them see what it is and then really hear them. Because we can before we jump in with puzzle solve, like, oh, she's struggling. Maybe she needs an extracurricular activity. Maybe she needs to go to sleepaway camp. Maybe she needs this. You have to just have that relationship with the child where they feel that they're heard and that they, they feel they can trust you. That's the key to almost everything. So I know you said we weren't, we weren't going to address this, but I do think that a lot of times when we come into the space of being a mother and being a parent from a healthier space, the maternal, the picture of maternal wellness does change. So if we're breaking cycles, let's say for ourselves and we want something different for our children, we have to be aware of how we're setting up our children. So I think it is an important place to start this conversation and say, well, what are we doing for our children so that they come into motherhood and into parenthood from a place that's much healthier um, and with less struggle? Everyone struggles. I mean, what does it mean to be a yid? It means a yid is somebody who struggles. But we need to have that emotional stability so that we can handle whatever life's challenges are ahead. Everyone has a life challenge. But I absolutely agree. We build them up. We build up our, what happens before your mom? We need to build them up from teenagehood. They need to have the level of competence. They need to feel like they have the independent life skills. They need to feel that they can engage and understand the world. Because I think what you said is the most important piece. The home is set by the mother. So if we don't have a healthy mother, what's going to happen in the home? And, you know, that's one of the most important pieces is that that's why I think it's really interesting that today's Rosh Kodesh, because what, what, are, what is back in biblical days, even they said, oh, she needs a break from laundry, right? <laughs> like She needs a break from doing regular tasks. We need to take care of ourselves first so that we can really be the caregiver and really grow the home and the family that we desire to. I think that's so important. So what would you say, if we're talking about maternal wellness as a whole, what would you say were some of the foundational items to ensure maternal mental health? 
Okay, so first of all, this whole thing with comparing to other people, my grandmother always said, and she said it in Yiddish, I'm not going to say it in Yiddish. She always used to say, you don't know what goes behind closed doors. She's, I think, behind the bedroom doors. You really don't know. In today's day and age with social media and everybody posting these perfect pictures where your hair looks perfect, your hair shapes look perfect, your kids look perfect, this, that. We don't know what's going behind it. So do not look at what, what's going on next to you. Just focus on what's what you have and be realistic of what you can handle. Not everyone, I know I'm talking to somebody who's in the Chabad, not everyone can have 20 Shabbos guests every week and everything and everything be homemade and everything be perfect. And it's okay that you're not in that place. We put so much, you know, most, you know what happens is women put so much. Also, by the way, pause. I think even if you can do it always, it's okay to take a break. So if you've been right. doing it for 10 years and you're like, wait, now I'm in a place where I can't do it. Taking a break from your expectations of yourself and your previous, it doesn't make you less. So it's not only what other people is doing. It's also what you've done in the past that sometimes we're changing what we can at, at, at different stages, at different stages. So for, I can just speak for myself. When we were, I got married a little bit older. So when we were newly married, we had tons and tons of what was called, quote unquote, the older singles for Shabbos meals all the time. I don't know if we're still recording. And, um, and then after my third child was born, I, I needed a break. I really, I just started, I, I realized my kid, my other kids were getting older and they needed the attention at the table. And I just needed to kind of slow down a little bit. And I think if anybody was taught anything from COVID and the lockdown, Hashem wanted us all to take a breather. I mean, I'm not saying COVID was great. It wasn't. But we just sometimes need to slow down and take a break and be realistic. And just because something really worked for you in your 20s and your early 30s, it may not work for you in your 40s. Some women need to slow down. Some women are on hypercharge. When they're, we, every single person is different. And you cannot compare yourself to somebody else. But the most important thing is to nurture yourself. That means taking time to be with yourself for whatever works for you. You need to take time to nurture our marriage, our relationship with our husband. Now, again, that's there's also women out there that are, need to work on maternal wellness because unfortunately they're now they're narrating motherhood alone, whether they're a widow or they're divorced. And we also need to put, you know, we focus on the marriage, but we also need to focus on the single mothers that are in our community as well. But and that's, enough, that's probably not a whole other podcast. I can say for myself, my my school has these like women's nights out for my kid. And I remember some, I was like, oh, I don't have time for that. But you know what? I just went. And it was really nice to just get, that's what it's called, the women's night out. We just need to go be with other women, socialize, do what we need to do. And we, and we need to be realistic. If that means you need extra cleaning help in the house, if that means you have to take takeout here and there, we have to be real because you have to, everything is a trade-off. One of the things that people have a hard time swallowing is we can't be perfect at everything all the time. And that's okay. So we just need to say, what, what am I going to take a step back from? What, what can I delegate? And what is the most important? And I think most important is spending that quality time with yourself, with your spouse, and with your kids. And each kid needs their individual one-on-one -on -one time with their parents. So how much time do you think that is? Because I early on... <laughs> No, I know that's a funny question, but I early on, like in my parenting journey, I took time to dedicate to each one of my children. And I'm very conscious of giving them five minutes, 10 minutes, 15 minutes, depending on my capacity for the day. That's just theirs. But is there like 
and and honestly, between you and me and half the world who's listening, nobody's really satisfied with what you're giving them. Like your kids, they do want more because it, it feels good and it's nice and it's connective. But is there some sort of criteria or algorithm that you see work successfully, both so that the mother doesn't feel drained and that the children feel like they're getting what they want? So I want to say it's quality over um, quantity. So actually, I do. Ha- I had a situation with my daughter that was a little bit upsetting in the school system. We're just going to leave it at that. And I was dealing with it. And I, I brought her up. To, I'm, I have an office in my attic. And I brought her up to the I'm attic. And I did something that she's never really seen me do. Is I took my cell phone and I took her cell phone and I left it in the hallway. And I closed the door. And I said, we're going to schmooze this out. We're going to schmooze this out. And she was like... We were there until one of my other kids came upstairs and we're like, we, we've been calling you, where have you been? But she was dealing with a very frustrating situation and she just needed to be heard and validated. And she needed to be known that I believe her on the parts that she's right in. And then I can give her feedback on the parts that she needs to be able to work a little bit about. But just for her to hear that I think she's right on the parts that she is right was so rewarding for her and for myself. She's like, you believe me. And I'm like, I do believe you, but this is not the best way to handle it. But I do believe you. Kids need that message. I saw her whole face light up and then teenagers on the phone all the time. And then I heard her talking to her friends. You're not going to believe what my mother did. What did your mother do? My mother spent an hour and a half with me with no phones, no other kids in the room, just sitting on the couch schmoozing. And they're like, What? Now, that's not realistic for everybody all the time. That's a lot. And you can't see that all the time. But it's a matter of like, are, when we're with our kids, are we on our phones? Are we, are we saying, okay, I can listen to you while I'm cooking? They want that individual time. And here's one thing that I remember very clearly from when I was my practice really focused on adolescence, eye-to-eye contact. People do not give kids the eye-to-eye contact. Oh, I could talk to you. I'm doing laundry. I'm doing... No. Just stop. When they're upset, just look at them in the eye and say, I hear where you're coming from. Okay. And then we can move on. It's really that you can't do what I did with in that situation is can't be done all the time, but we just, they need to really be heard and they really need to just have a little bit of undistracted attention. So let's go on to another uh, portion of this. I, and I think that it's actually connected to this directly. So the eye to eye contact, I think sometimes when parents aren't giving eye to eye contact, or are doing something else, sometimes it's because maybe they're triggered by the situation that they're confronting. And I think that those triggers, and I think that actually on social media, there's a lot of awareness to parental triggers and parenting through those triggers. But I think that those triggers are part and parcel of maternal wellness. Like how does a mother navigate through whatever is triggering her um, in her, I mean, you're not, going to just remove a child from your life right obviously you're going to continue Rifki, being in the situation is, I, Rifki, I feel like you hit the nail on the head like that is a like an amazing question so what ha- what happens when we become parents we're either trying to repeat our childhood or trying to correct our child it's actually a concept in imago imago therapy is really meant for couples and and marriage counseling but it really is also true there's something about, especially that child, that one child that might just get on your nerves a little bit more than the other children. It's because something in them reminds us of ourselves. I found that I, honesty is the best policy. I will, I will say, you know what? I was just like you. You know what? I also have a hard time with that. 
you know, I also have a heart. I also would feel like if 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 if, if um, somebody at school didn't listen to me or I felt like I wasn't treating being treated fairly, I also would have a hard time with that. But now I'm in my forties. <laughs> now I'm well into my forties, and I have a little bit more perspective on how to handle these things that are a little bit frustrating. Is can I share them with you? Of course, teenagers will always first roll their eyes, but there's still a little part of it that's going to seep into their brain. It could be that you need a break from that child. Now, that doesn't mean you send the child away. It just means like, okay, when some a kid is really triggering you, if you have a healthy relationship with your husband, sometimes your husband might be better to get that child at that. Now, not forever for that kid at that particular time. My husband's a little bit more even kills it. I could have a little bit more emotions. He looks at things a little bit more logically than I do that's okay. At different times, different things will happen. And I think just being honest, you could say, I'm really feeling frustrated right now. And when we model healthy ways of speaking to our children, they hear too. I had another kid come to me. My brother is really irritating me and I feel like I need a timeout from him. Now they share a bedroom. It's not so easy, but they're using much more mature language. And I said, okay, so you need a timeout. What can I do? And then we also have to give them the skills that sometimes they have to sit in a situation that's not always the best situation. And they have to just learn how to cope with it because not everything is, you know, the Brady Bunch anymore. That whole internal wellness piece comes in on so many different places. And then, especially in the front community, I think our specific challenge is, is raising larger families and you have the different stages living in the house at the same time. How many people are married? I mean, it wasn't my story, but how many people are marrying off a kid and they're pregnant or dealing with a two-year-old and they're marrying off a kid? So it's very challenging. How many of my friends are dealing with teenagers and aging parents and, you know, maybe they're like, and, my, I was gonna say, and menopause. Let's talk about menopause. Oh, yes. <laughs> but there's postpartum depression and fertility. It goes all the way through, you know, and then I'm not there yet, but supporting your older married kids. It's, it doesn't ever end. I mean, menopause, I always say, is reminiscent of teenage, the teenage puberty. So imagine like a lot of people are going through menopause while they're dealing with a child with puberty. And that's like dysregulation all, all over the, all over the place. Exactly. Both ends, right? Because it's literally like, obviously, the adult has better coping skills, I hope at that point. But you're mimicking each other on two ends of the spectrum. And it's it's a lot of internal chaos so that it's always okay to reach out for help I think one of the things being in the orthodox world sometimes we're afraid to say something because we don't want to speak Lashon Hara and I don't I don't want to condemn Lashon Hara but it doesn't mean that you can't pick up a fo- the phone and call pick one friend or two friends to maybe talk out a situation with and you have to pick people and not feel embarrassed to say listen I'm really struggling with this one particular per- this one particular area or this one particular kid we all need support. Obviously, if it gets, if it's, nobody can be for there for you all the time. And if it really, you need extra support, there's nothing, there's no shame in reaching out for counseling and for, to a therapist. It's, I actually think therapy is healthy at every stage. You know, everyone, everyone can use therapy at some, at some point in their life. And we need to really talk about how it's just a healthy, just like you had a weird skin rash, you don't hesitate to go to the gyne- to go to the dermatologist. Why are we hesitating to just have a consultation with the therapist? It's not a big deal. Today's day and age, I just wanted to bring up this one point, is it's so much easier than it's ever been for a firm woman because you now can see a firm woman who doesn't live in your community without having to shop. Because telehealth has really changed the game. I am now seeing women that are now outside of my community. They don't have to worry about seeing me at the kosher supermarket at a kiddish's, et cetera. 
even though I don't mind, I don't mind, but the, whatever's in their head, they, it, it's much more easy than it's ever been today. But don't be afraid to say, if you're really struggling that week and you get that call, can you do this particular chassid and you really can't, it's okay to say no. It used to be really, and I struggle with this. I used to really, really have a hard time saying no. Like every time like, oh, can you make a meal? This one had a baby. This one is a sitting shiva. But now I've learned sometimes saying no is saying yes to your family. By the way, this is my latest soapbox is boundaries in the firm community. I think we're so bad with it. We are incredibly horrible at boundaries and accepting other people's boundaries. And I think that's a whole nother discussion, but it definitely does play into, into maternal wellness because if we're giving, 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 and we're not replenishing ourselves and we're not, you know, we're rushing from task to task, we never really complete it. We never fully focus on it. And then we feel like we're a hamster on a hamster wheel with like nothing left. And it's, 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 it's depleting. And that's a real, that's actually a real problem. So I actually did a podcast with Sarah Blau for one of the local schools. They have a podcast about how our life is like a pie, right? Our life is like a pie and it, there's unlimited, there's no, there are not unlimited slices. So if I'm saying yes to you, I'm saying no to someone else or something else. And that's a very important part of what we, you know, of what we have to be aware of. Well, I want to say, I have to think that I have to, what is it? What's the maximum amount of micer that you should give? 20%. Exactly. This 20%. is a very important question. We, you're not, nobody ever, unless you're like a millionaire, nobody ever asked you to give more than 20% of MISER. But if you could think of doing chassid and favors in that way, you, now there's also, we're supposed to give 10%. We are supposed to push, push ourselves a little bit out of our comfort zone sometimes, but not at the expense of our kids and our husband and our own mental health. Right. That's very important. The other thing that you mentioned is very interesting is that you think in a way parenting is easier in today's day and age. I feel like we are parenting in a time when there's expectations that are sky high. I mean, any of us that were raised in a family that was large and that had an open home, open your, open your family albums, the family albums, like there, there was much more mess and chaos in the background of the pictures. And there was, there wasn't this Pinterest perfect Instagram worthy lifestyle that we were trying to like chase. And I do think that parents are mothers are, are parenting under the expectation of doing so much more and accomplishing to a certain standard that isn't always feasible to everyone. And I don't even know that it's important. And I do think that that really negatively impacts maternal health because people have increased anxiety about what they're doing and what they're not doing or increased fears or depression that they're not accomplishing what everyone else seems to be accomplishing effortlessly. Is this something that you're seeing in your patient populations? Yes, that's what I was saying. First of all, I don't think parenting is easier. I said it's easier to access therapists. Okay. I think that's 100%. I think there's this pressure, especially with the social media. We recently went away for midwinter break and we were at a very popular amusement park. And I saw this family where the mother spent 25 minutes trying to get the perfect picture for her, her not a non-Jewish mother, just taking 25 minutes to get the perfect Mickey picture, right? And I just didn't want to make it public because of the perfect picture in, in with the perfect background of the castle. And this kid is miserable, miserable. And I was with a different kid waiting for another kid to come back from a ride. And I was watching this entire process. And I'm like, that's not what this is about. And then when I came home from our day, 
I don't have a perfect family picture. There's not one where we're all in the same picture. And there's definitely not one when everybody's looking the same way because we're in the moment. And I think we forget to be in the moment. We're not trying to make perfect picture. And back, and what's really funny when you say the old fashioned family albums, that's the old days when you only had 36 pictures and you couldn't, you couldn't make, make it in no Photoshop. We're not here to make it perfect. We're here to make it real and enjoy the moments because they grow up so fast. My baby's about to turn 10 perm. And I'm like, how do I not have a baby anymore? It goes so fast. So we, we are supposed to be there and enjoy the moments. I think we're so busy doing, doing, doing that we forget. Wait, I chose this life. I chose to be a mother. I chose this. And why, and why am I not enjoying it? And why am I not allowing myself to have the joy? I think joy is a something that joy, simple, it's something that we forget. Like this is such a quintessential part of our, of what we're supposed to be doing as human beings on this earth is we're supposed to enjoy our life. Not at the expense of take, not taking responsibility, but take those moments when they come. I always ask women when they come into my office, don't you deserve joy? Don't you deserve happiness? And they're like, what? I'm like, well, what about your happiness? You're like, oh, I was just here, so I'm not depressed. Life isn't being not depressed. Life is really being happy and joyous and enjoying the moments. So we also have to look at where your expectation is. I'm not sure if I answered your question 100%. <laughs> Um, yes, that it's it's more about the being in the moment and managing our expectations of what we can and can't accomplish. If you, from your 20 years experience, if you had to tell women, these are the things that you can do to optimize your mental health, what would be the things, the top things that you would tell people? I would say you need to really look, you know, you, you have to be real about what, again, setting the boundaries like we were speaking about. You need to be able to enjoy the moments and you need to really nurture all the relationships that are important. And unfortunately, you can't, as I said, you can't be everything for everybody. So take that time to spend with your husband. Go on the, now we also have these expectations of like what's a date? A date, it has to be, we have to go into Manhattan and we have to go to the most expensive restaurant. And this, no, a date could be an hour, you know, for us, it's not the Hollywood romance. Maybe Sunday morning works better. Because the boys are in school, there's less people around, maybe just take a walk up for an hour. It doesn't have to be this image. So this whole idea of putting these expectations on ourselves, this idea of everything needs to be perfect. And then what happens is when we have this idea that everything needs to be perfect, it's a message that gets sent to our kids. We want to be conscious of what those messages are that we send to our kids. When we praise our kids and we compliment our kids, are we just telling them that they look so cute and they look adorable or she looks pretty? Are we saying that they had really good meters that day? Are we saying that they were really strong? They're telling them they're really smart. We want to, we want to really be careful to see who the, our children are inside. And we want to also see who we are inside. We're so busy doing, doing that we're not also just being and being who we need to be. Those are very, very important points. Can we talk about the connection between maternal mental health and our children, like our children's well-being and overall what we're giving over to them. So when a mother is not doing well emotionally, even if the child is too small, too young to articulate it, they, they feel it. When a mother has anxious energy and she's, and she's all worried, the kids feel it. We need to first take care of ourselves. I always use it like this. What happens when you go on an airplane? What do they tell you to do? We put the oxygen mask on ourselves because before we take, before we could take care of anybody else, we have to take care of ourselves. 
I don't know if anybody's here taking a lifeguarding course. That's also what I was taught in lifeguarding course is we put the buoy out. Why do we put the buoy out? Because even if I was six foot, I'm not, I'm five foot. Even if I was six foot, you know, this muscle man and I'm trying to rescue a young girl, somebody who's drowning, their, their natural reaction is to, is to pull somebody down. So we hand the buoy or the kickboard over so they could feel calm. And then we can pull them closer and hopefully pull, pull, pull them to shore. We don't want to take our children down when we're not doing well. So the most important thing is we need to take care of ourselves so that our, our kids can feel like the home feels stable. That means the laundry might not get done. That might mean that we're serving scrambled eggs for dinner. It might mean, or cereal. Um, you know, it, it doesn't matter what it means and it doesn't matter what anybody's opinion is. What, what a kid is gonna remember when they get older is the tone and the energy of the home. They're not gonna remember that they had kale, gluten-free, made from scratch, organic, blah, 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 perfect meals. They're gonna remember, oh, I, I felt heard, I felt seen that there was a sense of calm going on in the home. Now, obviously siblings fight, my siblings, my, my kids, you know, obviously are super perfect and never fight with each other. And if you believe that, so they need to just have a sense of like, we're here and really remember the most important thing is to take care of yourself. The second thing to remember is to take care of your marriage. When we talk about shalom bias, people talk about, oh, well, there's no screaming in the house. This isn't domestic violence, but, what, but there's no screaming. But how many homes do, do I, did I work with where there's also nothing, like if they don't see the parents connecting. He's doing his thing, she's doing their thing, and they're just kind of like coexisting. And whatever is, is sweet and nice between the husband and wife, they don't even show it to their kids. So, you know, they, I think it's good for the kids to see, or see, not arguing, but see parents work it out. You know, oh, I had this idea, okay, let's do this idea. They need to see that and they need to feel that. They need to see the teamwork because there's so many external forces. Then there's the in-laws and your family. And then there's the community's expectations and the school's expectations. And their friend's family looks like this. We need to give them the sense of like, okay, in their family, they're making the most perfect shalakmanas. And, and their costumes are perfect and their theme is perfect. I'm sure 20 years ago, they didn't have themes like we have themes now. And right and this is perfect, and this and that. Who, who says? All you have to remember that it's fun. Because I had, I had a client come here and she was so wound up tight. She's like, my kid messed up the shelf on us, the ribbon is imperfect. And I was like, is that why, you, is that the ribbon not perfect? And then she like started to laugh at herself. I'm like, you just yelled at your kid because the ribbon is imperfect. Like, that's not the spirit. Like, that's not what shelf manas is meant to be. So, we have to just kind of take a step out. And the most, the other thing that we didn't talk about is having a sense of humor. We need to have a sense of humor because guess what? I burnt the dinner. I, I broke this thing. I, I for, the laundry, something laundry got bleach in it somehow. We need to look at life and have a sense of humor because if we can't laugh at ourselves and we can't just start to see the humor in things or the hashkaka praxis in things, our kids aren't going to see it. We need to say, like, I think, by the way, I think also we have to let our kids laugh at the situation because, for example, I always burn the cookies. I don't know why, but my cookies are always burnt at the bottom. My kids, like, will grate my cookies off the bottom. One of my kids years ago made up a song about how mommy always burns the cookies. And we think it's hysterical. And I had a family member over once and they were like, you're letting them sing. I'm like, why not? It's the funniest thing. I literally will always burn the cookies. 
I think that uh, sometimes we get hung up on like the Derek Eretz, quote unquote, and I'm, I'm using air quotes here of being put on a pedestal that we almost forget the relationship. And it's okay that, you know, it's a funny situation. It's not a disrespectful thing. And I think that we have to sometimes lighten our expectations of the relationship that we have with our children also. Like it's sometimes very heavy. Like it feels like we have to take the boxes of Derek Eretz and keep it of aim and, you know, expecting our children. And I think that some of these things do come with time and with the relationship. Correct me if I'm wrong. No, I think you're 100% right. And I think we, we have to model this. We have to model having a sense of humor. We have to model say, you know what, mommy's also frustrated I burnt the cookies. So I'm not. I do? think it's hysterical. <laughs> when you, but I'm sure, obviously, you're perfect and you never get frustrated. But um, no, no, it's just not about cookies. <laughs> no, but, but, so, but I think that people also have this image, especially the generation that I grew up in, is parents never wanted to admit that they were wrong or parents never wanted to admit that they made mistakes. I think that it's okay. I, you know, it's okay to tell your child that I made a mistake or, you know, and this, but you have to also role model that you can handle the mistake. And we can still move forward from this mistake. Otherwise, kids will grow up with extreme anxiety and feel very wound up. And that anxiety and feeling wound up will cause not, you know, meltdowns and probably somewhere where it's not appropriate to meltdown. So we just need to let them know, like, it's okay. I can handle it. And the other thing is I think kids need to believe, have their parents believe in them. They need to know that we believe in them. I think that's very important. I also think that in addition to believing in our children, we have to believe in our ability to parent them. And sometimes we parent out of a place of fear. But I think coming coming to parenting out of a place of confidence, of feeling good about ourselves, because we've given already. We set the foundation. We gave to ourselves. We put on our life as first. We took the time to do what we need to do to feel grounded and to feel like our needs are being met and then we're then we're able to parent from a place that's more confident and more empowering and I think I think maybe that's what we keep circling around in this conversation which is the maternal health portion of giving to ourselves so that we're then able to come into our relationship with our children in the most empowered place possible and the other thing with maternal health is I know I'm here as mental health but I see too many women in our community ignore their own physical health because they don't they always put their needs last like don't push off that doctor's appointment your tooth aches go see the dentist don't push off your own personal health if you need to exercise you need to exercise and don't make excuses or feel guilty for taking care of yourself because a healthy mommy is a healthy home so i know we said we're not going to talk too much about postpartum depression or um, antenatal mood disorders um, but let's talk a little bit about the spectrum of perinatal mood disorders and what we can do to help support women in those in in this time period okay that's funny because i thought we were going to mostly talk about that okay so i think that there's there's such a thing with such a range i went to something for the state in my state of new jersey when i started to get involved um in so one of the reasons i got involved in postpartum depression is a close friend of mine had postpartum depression and at the time there wasn't really that many female orthodox therapists specializing in it and she went to a non a non a non Jewish therapist who basically said, "You're having a hard time. You don't need to have kids anymore. Tie your tubes." And that is totally not inconsistent with our value system as as Orthodox women or Jewish women. And how very saying, judgmental. Very judgmental. So I want to really just differentiate. So the cases that really get 
talked about in the media, these wild cases of like where it becomes violent, that's not actually postpartum depression. That's postpartum psychosis. And it's actually Thank extremely, you. it's extremely rare. So when you're talking about that husband, that whole situation with the woman who her three children and tried to jump out the window, and then the whole press is saying, oh, postpartum depression, that's not postpartum depression. That's really serious mental illness. What I'm really working with is like a little bit off. They're just not feeling themselves. They're missing that joy. Think that maybe there's something off. I mean, you know more about the bonding between the infant, the newborn, and the mother. There's just a little something off of that. But there's so we have postpartum psychosis. I want to assure our listeners that it's very rare. I don't have the statistics in front of me because I was advised to not have notes. There's postpartum anxiety and there's postpartum depression. And I think what I see more is the they become overly anxious and overly obsessive about every single little thing. There's also a reality that the hormones are kind of over in overdrive at that point. So there is a lot that we can do from a mental health place of view, and it's not just cognitive behavioral therapy. I found that even EMDR therapy works with some of this. EMDR is, an, is called eye movement um, de, uh, reprocessing desensitization. It's, a, it's not just doing the, the light bar and the eye movements. It's really a 12 phase of therapy, but it really talks more about the somatic experience, not just the cognitive experience. And sometimes, that what can really just help kind of balance some of the hormones out. I've seen it really work, really work, work very well. And we give, we need to give the woman the support and then we need to let, and I think, again, it's all about let her be okay, because there's always going to be the one woman who shows up to the bris and back in a size two and looks like she never had a baby. That was but never That me. doesn't also mean, that doesn't also mean that she's fine. Like right, just because she shows up looking picture perfect, that does not mean she's fine. A hundred percent. We do not know what's going on in somebody's head. So I want to put out there that people think that it only happens with the first baby. I've, I've worked with many women where that were totally fine with baby one, two, three. And then all of a sudden after the fourth baby, they just hit some type of post perinatal mood. You know, they hit either postpartum anxiety or postpartum depression. People think like, oh, it's not going to happen to me or they're ashamed because, you know, I come from such a hush of a family. I can't admit that I have a postpartum depression. I want to show you that the women that I've treated for postpartum depression really run the gamut of all backgrounds and everywhere. And it, and it really could hit us. There are some people that are a little bit of a higher risk. There's definitely some people that are, a, a, that are at a higher risk for postpartum depression. We have to really look at what is going on in the whole picture, what's going on with the family. The other thing that we need to really point out is this feeling of guilt. Jews have this feeling of guilt. We have this feeling of guilt that we're not the perfect mother, that we feel bad, that we maybe not connected, that we're not enjoying it. I see it actually much more with people who've had babies a little bit later in life or they went through the infertility process and all of a sudden they have a kid and then all of a sudden and they feel that I feel guilty because I, I should love this more than I can. I just want to tell them they are not alone. Things are not always how they appear on the outside. And there's so many moms that are just struggling in their silence. And just because everybody else is smiling perfectly, we need to, we need to know that you're not the one that's alone and it doesn't matter whether it's your first child or your seventh child. Every time a baby comes into a home, it's a life-changing event, and it's a change that really affects all the dynamics. Maybe different kids in the home are not welcoming the baby or not or realizing they're getting less time with 
with their mother. So I actually want to bring up uh, two points about this. The first one is that it's not just postpartum. A lot of times we see um, signs that we're not even looking for. And so we kind of push them away during the pregnancy itself. So if we've if we do see signs of um, heightened anxiety or depression, or if there's a history of anxiety, depression, or any other mood disorder, even if it's something like PMDD, which is intense version of PMS, then that would be something that you would definitely want to bring up to your provider during your pregnancy. Don't wait till the postpartum period. And if you feel it before, if you feel like something's off before the six week postpartum visit, don't don't be shy. Don't worry about calling earlier, making an earlier appointment, going to see someone other than your GYN or OB provider. So seeing a psychic um, NP or seeing, you know, your general provider or, or even having a phone consultation with whoever provided care before your six week appointment. The other thing I really wanted also maybe touch on, I, I don't know if you're comfortable talking about it, but I think we talk a lot about maternal uh, mental health, but husbands are a big part of this as well. Husbands can actually have postpartum mood disorders as well. And they're also a huge part of the support system for the wife. So when we talk about this, a lot of the conversation centered just on the women, but I think there's a fallacy in that conversation that we have to bring the men into this conversation so they understand what their wives are going through so that they can understand that if they're going through something that's similar to postpartum um, anxiety or postpartum depression, they're normal also. And that's also part of what can happen. Well, you wouldn't believe how many men, couples that I work with, the man comes in and after we've peeled the layers, what comes out is that they're actually jealous of the baby because the baby stole my wife. So we have this piece or they start to feel depressed because there was all this expectations that this baby's happening. They're meant, you know, they were always wanted to be a father, but it's not easy. We can't ignore the sleep deprivation. Both parents are sleep deprived. Sleep deprivation is not equal mental health at this highest form. So um, we have to put all these different components in there. What sometimes happens when a new baby comes is we start to see some of the cracks that were in the marriage. And we start to see that, you know, sometimes if also, and these are the things that women are, are your friends and people aren't going to talk about is they're struggling to be a mother, but they have extremely challenging marriages for various reasons. And you, we, they may look like the perfect couple on the outside, but maybe one of them is struggling with an addiction. Maybe their partner has clinical depression. Maybe their partner is unfaithful. I know we don't like to talk about that, but it happens a lot in the world. There's all different things that could be going on in the background. And I really just want to say is when you see other women, not to be judgmental, we really do not know what's going on with the other person. And everybody, there's no one right way to be a mother. You know, you might be like, I can't believe she's feeding them this at the playground where I packed my apple slices and my carrot sticks and can't be judgmental because we don't know what's going on. But if the man starts to show some, but men for depression in men is very different than depression in women. So what it might look like when we look at the man is he might look to be a little bit more irritable, a little bit more moody. Maybe he's picking fights, not like fist fights necessarily, but he's starting to get argumentative with people much more so than he ever was he's experiencing some kind of reaction to this baby. It's not the same because he doesn't have the hormones pumping through his body, but something's going on with him. The other two points I know are a little bit over time is we don't also don't talk about pregnancy loss as much as we should be talking about it for miscarriages and stillborns. 
that is something that is also a tremendous thing that needs to just be brought into awareness into this community. I'm sure you've seen it. I think, I think we should take a minute to talk about it because, you know, especially when it's baby number one or, you know, really when it's any baby, when there's all this expectation and whether it's an early loss or a late loss, there's you're you, you're left with a little bit of emptiness or a lot of bit of emptiness and a lot of bit of grief. And, and that looks very different for every single couple who goes through a loss. And that's, huge it's, because it's, people it's, don't know how to deal with it the people around they don't, have, they don't have a shiva for a miscarriage there's no ceremony for a miscarriage and people are really afraid to talk about it i've been through a miscarriage and it was horrifying and for me it wasn't it was i, I went through a miscarriage right when my mom died it was you know and I, so i had like a double whammy sort of hit in, in front of me and i found that people would like pull me into the corner and talk you know you know, and when I actually told them that I'm, it's two things, it's not just that my mother died. And they were like, they want to talk about it in secret. Like it's something to be ashamed of. I didn't cause the miscarriage. I didn't do anything for the miscarriage. This happened. So I, I want to take the shame away from miscarriage and pregnancy loss. I want to take the shame away from infertility. Nobody made themselves infertile. Nobody made themselves not being able to carry a child. I think that I had no problem going on the podcast saying that I've been through a miscarriage and mine was double traumatic because it happened while I was grieving. And for me, it was also the symbol that I was, I was, it was, it was medically complicated. And I, I, I was, it meant that I was done and being, that's another thing I was talking to a few of my friends. Nobody talks about in the front world is this being done. You know, I've had friends who feel relieved to not have babies. I personally would love to shrink mine back and put them back in my belly and do it all over again. But nobody talks about the stage of like, we're done grief. having babies. There's a grief to it. And it's not spoken about in the Orthodox community. I, I was really talking to another friend of mine who's also an MSW. And it's something that we just, we don't bring to light that nobody really talks about it. There's also this, again, this guilt of like, you know, I have a friend who's like, I'm, I'm kind of relieved that I'm done. And she doesn't want to talk about it because that's not, that could be looked down upon in our community. It's okay. You, and she's relieved after six kids. Like, it's okay. And then there's people who feel like they wanted more and, they, and they're like, but I only have seven. You know, it doesn't matter. It's just every family is different and every family is going to look different and we shouldn't judge. But this idea that, miscarriages, pregnancy loss, and infertility has to be a secret or there has to be a shame or guilt around it. We need to end that stigma and we need to support women who are going through this. Right. I couldn't agree more. And and, and I also want to bring up to anyone who's listening who might be going through that process um, or have their loved ones going through the process. It, it does look very different for every single person going through that grief that grieving process and that loss. So there are, there are plenty of organizations that you can reach out to. Riva Judas deals with this. A-Time deals with this. Uh, there's Knafayim. There's all these wonderful organizations that really do support. And a lot of them also support the families, which is a very important part of the process. And I think, I think that if you or your loved one is going through it to go out um, and to get the support so that you just understand that what's happening is normal and what's happening and how to support what's happening both for yourself for, and for anyone that you love, whether it's a sister or a friend, your spouse, whatever it is, it's, it is important to reach out. Um, and Baruch Hashem, we do have organizations that, that do, do address this. And sometimes, you know, like some of these organizations address, you know, complete infertility and they'll support you for baby one and two. But there are people that have two or three kids and that's all they have. 
and and it wasn't necessarily their choice. And people, you know, don't want to recognize that there was still a little bit of pain with that. I mean, obviously, at some point, you get to acceptance with that. But there was a little bit of pain with that. That's not what the rest of our, our community looks like. And it never, it, even if they, as the mother and as a father, can be shalom with it, our kids will say, well, when's our next baby coming? When Maybe the woman has a medical, when's our next baby coming? Well, how come everybody else on the block has five kids, six kids? There's, you know, there's all these different pieces. I think we just have to know that every family has different shapes and sizes. And, you know, we shouldn't be ashamed to be able to say, like, this is, this was my path. And I don't know why this path was given to me, but this was the path that I have. We have to be real with it, real with the pain, because if we're not then from being real with the pain, we could deal with the grief so that we can move on and appreciate what we have and, and what we, but it may not, it may have not looked the way that you wanted it to look when you were 19 years old and in seminary. And that's just the reality. I feel like you touched a little bit on circumstantial infertility, which I don't think we talk about at all in the firm world. We talk about medical issues and other reasons why it just doesn't come together to have more children. But sometimes I think from my role as a Kala teacher and having heard women in the community be told that they can't have more babies due to circumstances that maybe physically they're able to have a child, right? Their body works. Both parts of what's needed to have a baby works, but because of the circumstances in their home, they cannot have another child. That's a whole nother level of grief because it's almost, it's not fear. Everything works and that doesn't work. And I hear so much pain in those conversations and so much resentment. So you're talking about, let's say, for example, relationships, right? And how invest in your relationships. But when there's this layer of grief, I think that what I hear from women is that there's a resentment that builds up there. There is, because we, again, it goes back to what I said before, we don't know what goes on behind closed doors. So if you are in one of these marriages that are quite difficult and you might even be on the cusp of deciding whether you're going to stay in this marriage, that's not the time to bring a child into this world. I mean, I'm not a Rav, I'm not telling people what to do, but that, you know, but they may have spoken to the Rav, got their Shilas, and they made a choice that this is not a time that I'm going to bring another child. I'm not doing well. What happens when your husband doesn't want another child and you want another child? It's so complicated and it's so, and every situation is difficult, but we, we, you know, we have to be able to understand that there's a grief with that. And yeah, it's, and it's not always, it's not always medical, why other people, why you're not having more kids. Um, when we're talking about maternal mental health, I think we would be remiss to not talk about medication um, and how medication we talked about different modalities of therapy and we talked about support and we talked about being present and mindset and managing triggers. But I think we would be remiss if we didn't talk about uh, medication either as a long-term thing or as um, a short-term um, tool. But I think that it, it is important to know that this, this can be part of the picture either for short-term or for long-term managing maternal mental health. I think it has a stigma and I really would like to take that stigma away because if you went to the endocrinologist and they told you that you, your blood sugar is quite high. And even though you've you worked on your diet and exercise, you need to go on metformin or possibly even insulin. Why is there a stigma? You need to, you need to take care of yourself. It's in the Torah. We need to take care of ourselves. If you need to be on medication, it doesn't mean that there's something wrong with you. It means that you need to be on medication period. I don't know what that we need to have the stigma. And I think that there's also a lot of people afraid of it because 
oh no, when you're looking into the family for Shadaham and it comes out that I was on medication after I gave birth or medication at this stage in life, that is, I, I'd like to just throw that out in the garbage. Um, I the, think we are as a community. I think we are throwing that out. I don't think that that's part of the, the lexicon. I, I don't think so. Okay. I, I think I hope so, but I don't think so. That's not what I'm hearing. But I think that people just need to say, okay, it's a medication and not put a judgment on it. Because I don't know why, but people think of psychotropics um, as a negative, with a negative tom, and it doesn't, it's a medication. If you had to be on something for your blood pressure, is that make, does that make you less of a person? No, that's just what your genetics are. That's just what you need to, whatever you were created, and that's how you're going to take care of your body. So I would, I really think it's an important thing because I've worked with many people who come, they're like, I'm here to get help, but I'm not taking medication. And I don't push medication on anybody, but I sometimes say, you know, it sometimes it just takes the edge off, especially if there's after a trauma, sometimes we want to just take the medication to get the edge off. So then we can focus and then work towards um, healing and moving forward. If you had to leave women with some thoughts on maternal mental health and you wanted them to really know this from our conversation, what would you tell them? I think that we forget to look at our own positives. We're so hard on ourselves as women. I think that we need to be okay with the boundaries. Again, just kind of like recapping some of the things we said. We need to be okay with our boundaries. I think we need to be, we know that taking a slice out of the pie means that there's less slice for the rest of, you know, so we, we need to be okay with that. I think there's this judgment about ourselves, there's judgment of other people and not comparing ourselves to other people. And we need to understand that this is a life process because just with something that worked for you at one stage of life might be different at a different stage of life. And it's, and it's a constant challenge. And I really think it's okay to reach out for help you know, it's a, it's okay to talk to people, whether you need professional help or just a good coffee and cry with a girlfriend, this stigma that everything needs to be perfect. We need, we need to take that off the table. Not everything is going to be perfect. We don't want to run the hamster wheel running, you know, okay. So you got, you know, think about this poor kid at Disneyland that was miserable for half an hour because he needed the perfect picture. Think about the Shaw family who doesn't have a perfect picture, but my kids are super happy. I promise you, if we do not have a perfect picture, <laughs> like what? Um, and then I have the one kid who doesn't want to be in pictures. You know, so you have to be able to be in the moment, enjoy the moment, be realistic. And I think we also have to be realistic with our circumstances because you could always, the glass, you could always choose. This person has a bigger house. My house is so small, but this person is living in a tiny apartment. We have to just be where we are and accept ourselves for who we are. And motherhood is one of the biggest blessings that is bestowed upon us, but it's also one of the most challenging things that is bestowed upon us. It's the biggest opportunity for personal growth. I say this all the time. It's marriage and children, maybe even more children than marriage, is the biggest push for us to evaluate ourselves and to grow as people. And I don't think that that can happen in a, va in a vacuum. Like you're saying, it's all that support and it's all that help and it's all that perspective that really lets us um, be able to grow for ourselves and for our children and for our marriages. If people want to get in touch with you, Malka, how do they do that? Absolutely. So um, my website is just my name, malkashaw.com, M-A-L-K-A-S-H-A-W.com. I have a uh, newly put up um, Malkashaw LCSW Instagram, um, and they could reach out to me um, through the website. There's a website contact and my phone number is on the website. 
Amazing. And we're going to put that in the show notes as well. So thank you so much, Malka, for joining us today to talk about this very important topic of maternal health. And if you are listening to this and you even implement one portion of this conversation, you've already done exceptionally well. So thank you so, so much, Malka, for coming and joining us and sharing um, all your words of wisdom. And Mifki, thank you so much for asking me to be with the show. Like. Thank you for listening. We hope you enjoyed and grew. Original music of Shamil's Niggin provided by Hazen David Katak. We look forward to your input, feedback, and suggestions. We also have partnership opportunities available. Please email info at bodiessouls.com. Again, info at bodiessouls.com with two S's. Thank you. Thank you.